Hello, and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast with tips and tools for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Nancy Bacon, and I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. And this week, as part of our three-part tech series, we're going to dive into the wonderful world of databases. Oh, Nancy, I have been waiting for this one. I I'm, know. <laughs> <laughs> because I think it's the number one thing I get asked whenever I lead a fundraising workshop is, what database should I use? And we will dig into that in a little bit, but let me just start by saying that I firmly believe that one of the key elements to running a successful nonprofit is having a database that you love and that you'll actually use. And when you have the right database, you really start to see each person in your movement as an individual. You get to watch your movement grow and you keep your own communications workload doable which we all know is an important nonprofit radio show principle. So in my opinion, databases rock. I totally agree. I love databases. And I do want to just pause for one second here to just clarify our terms, because some people Mm. might be thinking database, that's a really technologically wonky thing. And I don't know, I'm still using index cards. (laughs) Let's just be clear. A database is simply organized information. That's all it is. You've got a bunch of information and in your database, you organize it. Whatever system you use, that's what we're going to talk about in a second. But just know that that's what we're talking about here. Exactly. And, you know, old fashioned used to be Rolodex cards, index cards in a recipe file. And it ranges all the way up to bells and whistles and super fancy computer programs. Absolutely. So let's dive in, Sarah. So what is the right database? Which one should I buy? Ah, see, this is so great because there's no one right database out there. It's about how your brain works. I was amazed when I went searching for a database, how some of them felt instinctively very familiar to me. And I actually ended up selecting one that looked like index cards because that's what I, that's how my brain folders work. But your Mm -hmm. brain folders might be different. And The good news is that there are lots of companies out there who've created different kinds of databases that match all the different ways our brains work. The right database also depends on what you need to track and how many people you plan to be in touch with and how many different people in your organization will need to access it. So there is no one right one, but we'll talk through about some some of the ways you go about finding the right fit for you. So how do you find the right one? Well, of course, you start with a little strategy planning. Uh, ding, 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 strategy. <laughs> right. And I think of three F words for that. First is function. So what do you need this database to do for you, right? Like, are you trying to keep names of people who volunteer and, and how to get in touch with them? Are you keeping donor information? Are you keeping those information about those you serve? Are you trying to track a communications flow? Like, What functions will you actually need from this? Is this how you'll do your thank you letters for donations? Lots of different functions can exist. And you need to be thinking not just about what you need right now, but what you think your organization will need in five years. Because a good database is going to last you a little while. So you want to think about all those functions you might need someday. Quick asterisk, as a small nonprofit organization, there are lots of databases out there that offer tons of bells and whistles that you will never use. Mm. So be honest about what you're actually going to take the time to keep up with. You don't need to actually track certain zip code things, for example, if that's not relevant to your work. 
that might be super relevant to a much bigger organization and completely irrelevant to you. So just because it's an offered function doesn't mean it has to be one you want to use. I love that you're integrating this into your program strategy, though, that that you are thinking ahead to what kind of reporting you want to do, what kind of information you're going to need to strengthen your program. You don't want to go too far. I mean, every whistle and bell is not going to help you, but you are doing enough thinking ahead to have what you're going to need to, to tell people your story. Absolutely. Because again, the point here is to try to make sure everyone individually sees how they connect to your organization mission and values. Mm -hmm. That means you need to know something about what they're interested in or how they like to receive information. And your database can be the way to gather that. The second word you need to be thinking about as you strategize is form. And that goes back to what I was saying about how your brain tends to organize data. So whoever in your organization is going to be the most frequent user of your database, it's really important for them to see the form. Some people think linearly, some people need visuals, some people like icons, some people like directions written out. Um, Different Mm -hmm. databases come in all these different forms. And it's really important to pick a form that feels comfortable. Because remember, we want to love using our database. If we love using our database, then it'll work really well for our mission. And the last thing to keep in mind as you're planning your strategy is finances. Cheaper isn't necessarily better when it comes to databases. I know in the last episode, we talked about free websites aren't always free. They sometimes carry some unintended consequences with them. And equally so with databases, it's really important to figure out what your budget is and acknowledge you might need to spend it actually invest in a database as a core structure of your organization. And when you're thinking about the finances, remember that there's going to be quite a bit of person time in both importing the data and getting that database set up and in maintaining it over time. This is an ongoing relationship with your database, not a one-time date at all. Um, So you want to be sure you're thinking about that long-term budget. I will say that this is one of the best asks you can do of a longtime donor or a donor who just thinks of you as one of their favorite organizations and to ask them to specifically help you invest in a database because you can show them how it is transforming your world all the time. So probably 12 years ago, my organization asked a donor um, to help us invest in a database. And every year that I go to run our annual appeal letters, I send them an email And I say, I remember way back 12 years ago when I used to have to do this all by hand. And, you know, this year we got it done in an hour and a half. Like, it's so amazing. Your gift is so amazing. And every year they write back and say, oh, it's so funny. You still are using it. I'm glad it was helpful. And it's this wonderful ongoing relationship because it really does impact every day what you can do in your organization. I love that. I love that idea of getting a donor or inviting a donor to invest in the capacity of your organization because it does have such an impact. And, you know, I'm a chunker by nature. I'm always like going through kind of the chunks of of something. And I I find it interesting. I just want to point out to you, Sarah, that you started with why, and then you went to what, what do you need your database to do? And then how, how does your brain function? So if, if folks listening are like, oh my gosh, that was so much good information. How do I organize it? I really think this is a, why do you need it? What functions do you need? And then how are you going to move that forward? Great. Thank you for pointing that out. Carry on. What else do we need to know? Well, so once you have this sort of strategy map um, that answers those questions, 
then you then you get to go shopping and looking for the databases. And, and you'll want to make a list of options. And I really encourage people to try out, to test drive at least three different databases. You don't really, you know, watching a video about them or sitting uh, over, looking over someone's shoulder as they're using one at another organization. It's not quite the same as you actually downloading some sample data and, and feeling what it feels like. So you'll want to test run at least three. Where do you go to find those three? Well, I have two suggestions. The first is techsoup.org. And if you don't know about TechSoup, you need to. It's an incredible Mm -hmm. resource for nonprofit organizations. And it provides reduced fee or sometimes free software and hardware um, for nonprofit organizations once you share your 501c3 um, documentation with them. TechSoup has a number of different donor databases, so you could see what they have available, and then you can go to those organization sites and usually download a demonstration, and that's what you'll want to play with. I also recommend calling two or three organizations that are like you, either in subject area, calling other food banks, for example, or like you in size or geography, and asking them, what do you like, and then downloading those sites. And then they'll give you a test run usually with, you know, 25 or so records in it. And you can play around with what's it like to input a new piece of information, what it's like to try to run a report from it and get information back out. And that's really where you'll settle into, wow, this has just the right number of bells and whistles or too many, or it works the way my brain works or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. I think those are great ideas. I also attending conferences. Sometimes you can come across Little Green Light based in Washington State has been a regular attendee at conferences. I know Bloomerang is a thought leader on nonprofit fundraising. So if you connect with who's doing what in the nonprofit world, there's it'll probably connect you back to a database. Yep. And it's really great to look into the company a little bit and understand what perspective they're coming from. Some of the organizations who create databases are were founded by people who worked in nonprofits who said, oh, there's nothing out there that does exactly what I want for, say, donor tracking or for volunteer tracking. And so I created it. And that's usually a good sign that it has some of the capacity you might be looking for. So now you've selected a database. What's the next step? Uh, yeah. So now the journey... <laughs> The journey is really just beginning in your long-term relationship with your database. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've decided you like each other and now you now you got to build the relationship. And so you need to start planning for how you're going to get your data into the database. So you already have data somewhere. It might be in your head. It might be in QuickBooks. It might be on sheets of paper in a binder, or it might be in an Excel spreadsheet, or maybe even in a different form of a database. And you have to figure out how am I going to get it from there into my new system? Because, and this is so important, the information you put in is what you get out of your database is only as good as the information you put in. So if, if you put things in and you're missing fields and you just don't have enough historical data, then you're never going to be able to track the things you want to track. So thinking through how you're going to get it in. There are two key components to this. First, you need to create, and I mean literally create, a data entry manual. And this can just be a you know one-page Word document. It doesn't have to be fancy. But that is, how are you as an organization going to enter data into your system? Take, for example, this dilemma. Will you enter people by household? So Sarah and Eric Brooks at one address. 
thereby making sure we only get one newsletter or one mailing? Or do you need Sarah Brooks separate from Eric Brooks because maybe I participate in a walkathon and mm. Eric Brooks doesn't? Um, you actually have to stop and think through, do we interact with people as households or as individuals? And how do we want to interact then in our database? Your answer will not be crystal clear. <laughs> you, mm -hmm. The truth is some people you will interact with one way and, and, and others another. And you, so you're going to have to pick a path and stay consistent with it and then know how you do the workaround so that if I enter people as individuals, I always mark one of them as don't send them two newsletters, right? Unless I know they want two newsletters. You'll, you just have to kind of stop and think through those things before you just rush in and, and put everything in. So your data entry manual explains that. And it also explains how you're going to uniformly put things in, you know, what's, how does a PO box get listed? How does, you know, a zip code get entered? Because when you, you don't want to have duplicates, right? You want to be checking for duplicates all the time. And if, if you enter things in different ways, it's really hard to find them. It strikes me that that also brings your whole team together around how you do that. I know a little bugaboo in my world is people who use their middle initials, which I totally honor and love. But then you send letters to, you know, Nancy A, and I don't go by Nancy A. And so then I have to clean up, you know, so just thinking ahead, Absolutely. how are we going to manage middle initials? And Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and how are we going to, you know, think through who then in our office has the access to actually input the data? So mm -hmm. I know some organizations that spread that out over a crew of volunteers or people. And then that written manual becomes all the more essential because mm -hmm. everyone needs to do it the same way. Um, and I know other organizations where they just have one or two people who do it. They still need that written manual <laughs> to remind mm -hmm. them because every once in a while, you know, some funny thing will come up that you, you, need, you need that uniformity check on. Mm -hmm. um, the second piece to getting your data in is to plan backwards. So to actually um, start off by thinking about what's the information I'm going to want to pull out of my database? Um, what are the reports I might want to run? I want to know how many new people came through our food bank last week, maybe, or what letters I might want to send. I, I know I want to send a donor letter. So what information will I need to track in order to do that? And that really, it can be kind of a, a mind spinner for a bit <laughs> to, to think mm -hmm. through backwards, but to actually sit down and just think, about, okay, over the next year, I know I'm going to want to invite people to events. I know I'm going to want to write thank you letters. I know I'm going to want to check in on who's taking a class with us. I know I want to know who's volunteering. Okay, so how do I make sure there are fields that will help me keep track of that? Um, and then that helps you think through, okay, what data do we need to be importing in when we start to create our database? I mean, I think a lot about our equity goals as organizations, and we want to make sure that we're serving diverse clients, people who maybe have been underserved in the past. And so often our databases aren't set up to handle that. Like we have no idea. We just have names and addresses. We don't have any of their demographic information to know who they are. And I think increasingly we're being called to include some of that information, aren't we? Absolutely. You know, this it, this is a great moment to, to take a, a theoretical question to each one of your committees. You know, if you have a program committee and maybe you have a finance committee and maybe you have a fundraising committee or you know, however your organization is structured and they don't have to see your database at all, but just ask them, like, if I could come to you and give you a report that would actually be useful, not just interesting, but would actually change the way we did things, what kinds of information would that report have in it? 
Um, and then, and then that's the information you should try to see if you're able to track in your database. So this all sounds like a lot of work. Is this really worth it? I'm going to come back to that. Why is this, <laughs> are we really going to do this? <laughs> well, I think if you really want to build a movement, then yes, because at least for me, I can only keep track of so many things in my head <laughs> in one day. And unless you only have about a dozen, you know, things you're trying to track, um, there's just no way to keep track of everything any other way. It's also a reminder about succession planning. You know, we all might think we're going to stay where we are for the rest of our careers, but we never know what's going to happen. And I've seen a lot of organizations struggle when someone who just kept everything in their head, something happened and they weren't able to share that information. And then the organization is sort of left wondering like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, you know, who are our volunteers and how do they like to be communicated with and what do they like to do? So you're building a movement and that means you're building something that goes beyond you, which means you have to put the structures in place that go beyond you. And then also I would say that building a movement is also about people feeling connected to your values, people feeling like they're seen and that they belong to a community and people who then are motivated to act on behalf of your mission. And that requires you to see your community as a group of individuals. You know, Nancy might come to this organization with a strong desire to support our work over here. And I might come to our organization with a strong desire to support our work over there. And both of those things can exist and we can both be helping build the movement. But I hope the organization recognizes the differences in our interests and works with us in those areas. You know, I think about it that most nonprofits don't have a whole lot of tangible assets. Most nonprofits, their biggest asset is information. And so we put it, you know, if we had a brand new car sitting outside our nonprofit, we would take care of it because Mm -hmm. donors gave us funding to have that car to do whatever our mission is. Your information is the same. It's probably one of your biggest assets that you have. That is such a good point, Nancy. And yes, we should we should care for it and we should look at it and provide maintenance for it and make sure it's safe and secure and all those pieces as we think about it as one of our biggest assets. If you're building a movement, the biggest thing you've got is a whole lot of people behind you, right? No, that's sure true. Now, so what is our word of the week? Why did you choose it? Yeah, I think our word of the week should be input. I think it's funny when I think of a database, I often think about the output. What's it going to do for me? It's going to output letters. It's going to output great reports that tell me where I should spend my time as an organization. But it's the inputs where all the power lies. And this will date me because it's about a stereo system, but I had a cool stereo when I was a teenager and I had this input jack, right? And that was where all the power and energy went into the stereo system was that input jack. It wasn't it wasn't the speakers, but if you didn't have the right plug in the input jack, nothing happened. And that's exactly how I think about a database. It's about what we put into it so that we can get out of it pieces that will help us build that mission. I love that idea of thinking back to those old stereos. You know, when I thought about input, so here we are, it's mid-August. We're recording this on August 16th, and we are right in the heart of tomato season in the Pacific (laughs) Northwest. My little cherry tomatoes are so delicious. They're like little bundles of sugar. And I'm thinking when I saw the word input, I was thinking, of course, of, you know, obviously everyone goes to gazpacho because it's tomato (laughs) season. And, you know, you would never make gazpacho with canned tomatoes. You just wouldn't do it. Like in the middle of winter, you're not like I'm craving gazpacho. So you open up a can and you, you go that way. No, no, no. You would, you have to have fresh tomatoes. 
And so we know this in our harvest seasons as we're grabbing that beautiful fresh basil to make pesto or whatever, you know, zucchini to make zucchini bread. We know that that you've got to put good stuff in to get good stuff out. And so that's what I think about with a database. Perfect. I've never, I've never put a database and a cold soup in the same, uh, in the same sentence before, but absolutely. I'm right there with you. (laughs) That's what we do on the nonprofit radio show. We connect (laughs) two very different ideas to make sure that you, you, you are successful. Well, once again, we'll remind you that your mission is a movement and building a movement takes both organization and strategy. You need a functional database to provide the structure, that organization that will be the backbone um, that then spreads your mission far and wide. So take the time to think about a database, how you might use it, who might use it, how their brain works, how you can finance it. And then be very careful in putting in that information so that what you get out is as good and tasty as Nancy's gazpacho. We know you've got this. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Radio Show. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please consider sharing the podcast and rating us on your favorite podcast site. Your support is the best way for us to reach more people. We invite you to look at the show notes at nonprofitradioshow.com for ideas on how to bring these conversations into your organization or to tell us what you'd like to hear next. Nonprofit Radio Show is produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks. Editing and post-production are provided by Margaret Mep Schulte of Three Choices Creative Communications. Music is by Riley Crabtree. Together, we are inspired by you and other nonprofit leaders doing important work in our communities.